2: A day. Smart Metabolic Burn by Brain MD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over thirty percent on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartburn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or
4: If you feel it, put your hands in the air Show some love to the mirror while you're there Let's take it one day at a time Cause you and I out
5: where well, Lisa and I are super excited to have Sam Previtt join us for today's episode. She is a dietitian that is creating change in her own little bubble, but also in the Instagram world because that's where I found you, Sam. And I'm so glad I did. I don't even know how or who reposted you, but I'm sure I saw one of your funny reels that you put up that are very attention getting. And I love that you use your creativity to bring awareness to something that's super important. And it's diet culture and all the things that we have that have rained upon us for years and years and years that I know you and Lisa both being dietitians in that world it's probably a constant struggle so talk with us about how diet culture has played a role in your career and then what you try to do for clients online like your Instagram world but also professionally in your workspace
6: well thank you so much for having me and it's so awesome that social media can connect people from from all over but for me you know I wasn't always uh, an anti-diet dietitian and I think a lot of dietitians can relate to that is that we are classically trained in diet culture. We are trained to use weight loss as our party trick of how we can be air quotes helpful for people that are not watching this and listening. And so I spent a lot of time counseling when I started as a dietitian, counseling people in weight loss and weight management. And I truly thought that I was helping people. I honestly thought that. And I think that's why we go into this field as a dietitian is we want to help people. And we're also seeking that answer of life, of happiness and health and all these things when really there is no magic answer. That's the answer. So I was doing you know, weight loss counseling and and whatnot. And then I recognized that people would see short-term success and then they would go off on their merry way and they would come back a few months feeling distraught, you know, feeling guilty and shameful, reaching out to me and saying, like, I failed, Sammy. I need you to help me. I need, I need to tune up, you know, I need a check-in. And I would see that over and over. And I said, something's not right here. Like this isn't helping anyone. And it wasn't until I found intuitive eating, which I'm also a certified intuitive eating counselor trained under Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, the authors of the book, where I was able to see that really if we can help help people make peace with food, first make peace with their body, then we can get to the part that dietitians think about of nutrition and things that genuinely improve our health. But if everything that we do is so rooted in guilt and shame, it's really hard to start to make behavior changes for air quotes health if everything has a shame wrapped up with it. So to go back to your question, I have not always been an intuitive eating dietitian. I have not always been an intuitive eater and an anti-diet dietitian. It's really been in the last 2 years where I've really dove been and continue to learn. And we have a team now of multiple registered dietitians that are all certified in intuitive eating. And we help people all over the world in our virtual private practice.
7: Yeah, I think what you do is awesome and I love the way you present your material online. It really is light and funny, but bringing the realness to the conversation but in a way that doesn't make people feel bad and I think that that's really the critical component as to, you know, why people are attracted to you, of course, and and your practice. Thank you so much for that. And I think that's where TikTok came into play where,
6: you know, we're in the midst of this global pandemic and and everyone's stuck in home. And I saw this TikTok app and I was like, no, not another app. Like I can't do this. And then we started making videos and people were having, like you said, that that emotional reaction of like laughing and being like, oh my gosh, I do that. Like, you know what I mean? And it's relatable. I'm not anti-human beings dieting. And I think that's where on Instagram, things can get really sticky is people can feel shame and guilt for their diet history. But we have to go through that to be able to get to a place where we're saying, I don't want to diet anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. This is harmful. And so there's no shame in being a chronic dieter. That was me for eight plus years, but being able to laugh about it and say, okay, how can I move
5: forward and how can I change? Love that. And just so that people know where to find you on Instagram, you're at find.food.freedom. And is it the same on TikTok? Yep find food freedom no dots on tiktok okay but on instagram we got the dots so yes definitely what we encourage for our listeners to do is to follow accounts such as yours so that you have those positive reminders in your feed and maybe unfollow stuff that isn't necessarily healthy for you to see because i feel like when your posts pop up or if lisa puts up a post or any other amazing people that i've started to follow once i've become part of this anti-diet culture because i no shame here chronic dieter, all kinds of eating disorders from it. So I am right there with a lot of America. And one of the reasons why Lisa and I are here talking with you is we want to keep having these conversations, say that there's no shame, break the stigma around some of this stuff. And as we enter into the holiday season, I think that that is when diets start to rear their head, whatever it looks like, because you maybe have, well, 2020 is a little weird, probably not as many parties, but you've got different gatherings to go to where there might be this kind of food and this kind of food. So you better restrict for five days before you go eat your big family meal or juice, you know, some sort of cleanse to detox after. And then the new year approaches and it's like, okay, new year, new me. And it just seems like the last few months of the year. And then as we enter a new year, it's a vicious cycle. And I was a part of it. It was almost like I could predict how I was going to be November, December, January, November, December, just binge like crazy January cleanse and then end up binging again because my body Was hungry, so talk with us about what insight do you have to offer to navigate through the holidays without doing what I just said that I did for years. Yes, well, I think it's one
6: thing to recognize is that's very conclusive with the evidence. We know that restriction is the number one indicator of binging. So a lot of times there's a lot of shame tied to binging, and people are saying, you know, when you're in that binge, you say. I'm never gonna do this again, like this is it, that creates that urgency to eat even more food because you truly believe that come Monday or come that next day or after the holiday that you're not gonna allow yourself to eat that food. And that creates urgency to eat even more food, which then fuels that restriction. So binging occurs because of the restriction. I see it so often with my clients and you know, Thanksgiving is coming up and that's one of the most common holidays where people will have, again, I'm gonna use air quotes again, like saving your calories for the big Thanksgiving meal, right? And thinking like, okay, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to not eat all day. And then I'll be really air quotes good. I'm using so many air quotes on a podcast, but that is that diet culture mentality. So being able to say, okay, if I've ever restricted in the past, how did that end up for me? right? Was I binging? And I like to normalize that for people of if you've restricted and that's led to a binge, which chances are it has, congratulations, you are a human being and your body works correctly. Like that's something to celebrate. That's not something to feel bad about. And so once we can shift that mindset to, oh my God, my hunger is working correctly. Like I binged because my blood sugar was low and because I was restricting and because I was starving, then we can say, okay, we can remove the emotional unpleasant, from that physical unpleasantness that happens when we binge, because those are two separate things. And then we can say, what can I do differently next time? So when we go into, let's say, let's go back to our Thanksgiving example, can we eat a breakfast? Can we eat a snack? Can we eat lunch? Can we eat another snack? And then go into our Thanksgiving dinner just as if it was any other meal. And recognizing that fueling our body will help keep that urgency to eat down because our blood sugars will be stable. We will have the food and we won't feel that restriction.
7: And the one thing I just want to add, which I think you'll agree with, but just how restriction played out in my life over the last 10 years or during my disordered eating is that it might not be total calories. It might be clean eating or only eating gluten-free for no medical reason or even personal finding reason or dairy or sugar or whatever it is. Uh, I remember when I saw my therapist for the first time and I was explaining my binges and she said, well, are you restricting? Because restricting causes binges. And I said, no, I'm eating. I'm eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I was, but I was excluding so much that it still resulted in a binge. So I think just to expand that conversation as to you know what being good looks like, maybe it's not just being keto up until Thanksgiving meal, really allowing flexibility and examining what restriction looks like on you. I love that.
8: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
6: You know, when we use the terms being good, right, or being bad with food, a big part of intuitive eating, one of the principles is removing the morality to food. And I think that's a, you know, we find so often that our clients have this cognitive dissonance. Their logic and their belief systems are not matching up. So asking yourself right now, okay, if I eat X food, food, whatever that food is, right? Does that make me a bad human being? Does that change my character? Does that change my worth? And most people will say, no, no, right? That doesn't change my worth. But then if we say, okay, eat that same food, do you feel guilt or shame? for eating that? And if the answer is yes, we know that guilt and shame, specifically guilt, is rooted in a moral emotion. But we just said that we weren't bad. Like, that doesn't change our worth. So, okay, there's a yes over here. There's a no over here. That's a cognitive dissonance. We need to dig into that and we need to release that morality with food. And that will also help with that binge restrict cycle as well.
5: Something you said about eating breakfast and lunch and a snack and going into a holiday meal as if it's any other day, I think is huge. But also what I've loved about learning from people like you and Lisa and others that I follow is the reminders of, hey, if you've struggled with any type of disordered eating patterns and you woke up today and you ate breakfast, high five. Because I think so many times I definitely participated in intermittent fasting and so many times I catch my brain being like, uh, actually should I eat breakfast right now? Because I ate dinner at 8 o'clock last night and it's not even 8 a.m. yet and it hasn't been 12 hours. My brain still does that to me because it was such a pattern for a long time. And then I check in with myself and I say, okay, am I hungry right now? Regardless of when I ate dinner, who cares? Throw that out the window. Am I hungry right now? If I am, I eat. If I'm not, I wait a little bit. And that's me working through in my own way. Everyone has their own journey, their own stories, their own old habits that they have that are hard to break. But even though I'm haven't intermittent fasted in a very long time. Well, for me, I, you know, a year or more, I still have those thoughts in my head, we're not acting like waking up and eating breakfast and having lunch and snacks on Thanksgiving day is easy. And you will still have mental thoughts no matter. I don't know. with The two of you, you've been at this a lot longer than me. Do you still have to tell your brain, oh yeah, I, I don't think that way anymore?
6: So for me personally, at this point, no, but I will say absolutely. It takes time. It takes years, right? So we create pathways in our brain and these negative thought patterns and these loops, um, which I think Jennifer Roll and talked about in one of your previous episodes, and that is so important to be able to recognize that and know that that is not a failure. That is just diet culture, trying to dig its nails right back in, right and and present itself. So just like you said, Amy, being able to recognize that, whether it's just recognizing it in your head, writing it down on paper, and then being able to redirect that and say, no, I need food to fuel my body. I will function better with this meal. I will be a better human being with this meal or whatever it is. Being able to catch that is so important. And that's that's really what the work is, is it's consistent, consistent work. And it's different, I think, for everybody based on their own story of how long that may continue. But I have so much hope that you're going to get to a point one day where you're like, I just eat, And I don't have to think about it.
7: I'll say, though, that, you know, with so much time I spend on social media as my job and I'm exposed to so much, once in a while I'll get something that is not me listening to my body. And while I'm not fused to it, I'm not like, oh, this person's doing this. I should try this. It's a little ding that I'm no longer listening to my body because it's rooted in fear and we feel fear. So I'd say once in a while I'll notice something. And that's why I call it noise, because it's anything that's pulling me out of my body. And I'll say, "Okay, noise, you know, thank you for trying to keep me safe, but I'm good here. And I think that's kind of two approaches. It's like get angry at diet culture, but get kind to yourself for trying to protect you in its wrongly perceiving of danger. So I feel like that's kind of how it shows up for me once in a while. I'll flag it. I'll ding it. It's very infrequently, but I will notice it and I'll come home and I'm constantly coming home to myself and my trust. And those little moments, even where I come home are like little pats on the back that bring me even closer to trusting my body because it's like, hey, we just work together. Like we just said, like, you know, see you. No, thank you. And so I don't think you're anyone's a failure if they get a moment of, oh, well, I just had dinner at eight o'clock. You know, your example of intermittent fasting. It hasn't been that long. I think we're always works in progress and new life changes are going to bring up old thoughts or situations like if Thanksgiving is a a scary one for you, that might bring it all back. Or if, you know, we're talking to women and people of all life phases, going through big life changes means your body is going to change. That might bring up stuff. So using those tools is really how I how I see it. Yeah,
5: love that. And Sam, since we're talking about the holidays too, what advice do you have for people in situations where they're around family that may be triggering to them? Like I would have been someone that showed up at my family dinners. And if someone was in recovery before me, I would have been triggering them left and right. And honestly, I was a real buzzkill because I didn't want to eat anything anybody had. I brought my own food. I was real particular. My mom would have her candy yams, but I made my candy yams with Splenda, so I was going to eat. My separate thing over here. You know, I'm just thinking back on silly stuff that I used to do, and I would have been better off eating the family meal. But if people are really listening to this episode and wanting to put in the work for themselves, but maybe they show up and there's some stuff surrounding them or, or whatever vibe other family members are bringing into the picture, like, do you have any tools that people can kind of keep in their back pocket to help them navigate the holidays? That's a wonderful question.
6: And I think that's something we've already started with all of like, our team, with our clients, because because we know this is coming, right? We can anticipate these triggers. And I think there's, there's different ways that we can do this, but really role playing the situation out before it happens. So we can recognize it and we can actually walk through that situation together with our client. And they can actually start to experience some of the anxiety or some of the discomfort in that setting, which can be really helpful to walk through it. So for example, if uncle Larry makes a fat phobic comment, right? Being able to say like, write that down. What's like the worst scenario that could happen? And then what are the emotions that we feel to that comment? And how do we choose to respond? And I think it might change depending on the day, but I think it's being able to recognize do I have the mental capacity for this conversation? Is Uncle Larry reachable and teachable and wanting to hear about diet culture? Or is it just not even worth it to and just setting that mental boundary to say, I'm not participating in diet culture talk. So either change the subject and or leave the room and just get out because you know that that's gonna be better for you. But then I think that also comes down to, let's say Aunt Cheryl maybe is presenting some, Signs of disordered eating, maybe some of the things you were explaining, Amy, of like making the Splenda yams or or bringing her own food. Or I think now people that have walked through this journey a little bit more can have some empathy for those family members, knowing that they are most likely rooted in disordered eating, because we know that women ages twenty to forty-five. 65% of them display disordered eating tendencies, and an additional 10% has clinically diagnosed eating disorder. So, 75% of women are most likely walking around with some form of disordered eating, which is insane. And that's not even counting the numbers of people that are not, or, you know, misdiagnosed or not diagnosed. So, chances are we can recognize that and maybe see it through a different lens this year where maybe that would have been triggering before, but now we can almost have empathy and again, create those boundaries where they're needed to be created, where is it worth it? to say something to aunt Cheryl and try to open up and, and help her, which might be healing for you personally. Or again, is it better to change the subject, get out of the room and really just making sure we're keeping ourselves safe because boundaries are meant to keep you safe, not those around you. And that is what is most important this holiday season.
7: Just to reiterate something that you said that I think is really important, especially if you're just starting to unravel diet culture and you're really passionate about it, which is what happens in the beginning. It sounds like you agree to me, but when you said, is Uncle Larry reachable and teachable, like that speaks volumes to me because I think sometimes we start the fight to prove how right we are with people that are unreachable and unteachable. And it leaves us feeling really depleted and alone, especially when it comes to the holidays and family i think that people might associate not speaking back uncle larry as complicit but that boundary is to protect you kind of like not today satan you know get through the day you have enough on your plate dealing with the triggers of the holiday that you don't need to also go to war necessarily so evaluate who you are, what the situation is, who your Uncle Larry is. Is there a conversation that's going to be healthy for you or not? So I just thought that was really important. And I wanted to nail that. Thank home. you.
6: And I think that's something I've learned personally. And I, Lisa, you can probably attest this or even you too, Amy, even though you're not a dietitian, like you said, when you're passionate about this, you want to talk about it. You want to shout it from the rooftops. You want everyone to know about it. And then there's a bunch of, we're just going to keep going with Uncle Larry. There's a bunch of Uncle Larry's in the world that want to tear you down and tell you why you're wrong and quote research. And you can get burnt out doing this work very easily and i've experienced that and that's why i think it's seeking mentors seeking therapists seeking dietitians friends people who are supportive and understand it is not our job to change the minds of all the uncle larrys in the world if you just focus on you and your heart and i love how you said earlier lisa like coming home to you you're going to plant seeds in all the people around you that matter and they will notice something and they will ask you about that And that's how it'll grow from there.
5: I was gonna tap into that encouragement too. That people will notice in your family if you have been the Aunt Cheryl before, was that her name? Aunt Cheryl. I think I love I love how we have these people now. So if you've been the Aunt Cheryl before, as I was many times, and I just I was obnoxious to my family, but I had no idea how uncomfortable I was making my sister, for example, and she's so sweet and kind that she would never say anything to me, she would just let me. Be the party pooper and let me say weird things that made her feel uncomfortable about what she was eating. And she would just ignore it and say, Okay, I mean, she's just in a better place with food than I ever was. So she was able to still eat her meal. But then I was giving her toxic thoughts because I would say something, it would make her think, Oh, should I not buy this? Or do I need to not use real cheese in this recipe? Or should I alter XYZ? And ultimately, she could talk herself out of it. So I love that about my sister. But it wasn't until I was recovered that she was able to truly communicate to me how I would make her feel and others. And now that I'm in recovery, she notices how different things are. And I think maybe you're patient for certain conversations because if you're in recovery and your family notices it, Aunt Cheryl, when she's ready, she might know, hey, maybe something's different about Amy. Maybe I can go talk to her and see instead of you imposing upon them your new ways. Because I can't tell you how many times I imposed my diet upon people almost to where I feel like I've lost all credibility talking to my family about anything and that I'm doing food wise. So sometimes I feel like even if I were to bring up now, like no no, now I don't have any issues. Well for them they're like, "Oh, well Amy, for 20 years or more, we've been dealing with your antics, so we actually don't really care what you have to say." That's lived experience
6: and you know, that's that's so valuable because it's all the validation you need that like that didn't work. I wasn't happy. I wasn't okay and now I am. And that's something with intuitive eating through the research, we see all the time there's actual studies on increased life satisfaction, right? And I know you guys have talked about this in previous Outweight episodes, but of, you know, being present in moments because you're not wrapped up counting calories or thinking about food, bringing your own food to events, diet talk and the conversation, always coming back to dieting, like truly being able to change the world because you're now not focused on changing your body. And that, that's priceless. I
5: I feel like that's a really good place to wrap and leave people before you go share with us the hope you have for our future generation for me and I feel like a lot of our listeners you and Lisa are in this world and you're in this space and I think you've been a part of the change and it still feels sort of at least grassroots to me because it's not the mainstream but what's the hope for the future like do you see us clawing our way out of this diet culture mentality it's so ingrained in so many of us without us even knowing it because we've just been in it our whole lives but what's your hope for the future It's a great question. The good thing is we know that dieting
6: doesn't work. So that's in our favor in the sense of we want everyone to not have to go through that diet culture trauma, but we know that diets don't work. We know they have a 95% failure rate. We know that two thirds of dieters will gain back more weight than they originally lose. And then that cycle continues. So once people get to that state of, I can't do this anymore, this is not helping me. This is actually harming me. And they have that awakening. It's magical what happens to them. And they can really start to walk on their intuitive eating journey and recognize that the answer lies within me. There's never been anything wrong with my body, but diet culture has built this distrust that there has been something wrong. And once we can start to recognize that, and once people see the intuitive eating and food freedom messages you can't unlearn that. That gives me so much hope because I've seen it with hundreds and hundreds of people that we've worked with. Once you learn this, you can't unlearn it. And like we said earlier, you start to plant seeds in the lives of others and those closest to you. And then it just spreads like rapid fire.
5: Yeah, I hope it spreads. I appreciate your work so much. And I think too, that there's nothing wrong with our bodies. Part of it is just, yeah, we need to ditch the diet culture mentality, but why are we dieting? So my hope is, I'm just piggybacking off of you here for a second just to encourage listeners is that Lisa and I aren't just doing this podcast to expose some stuff and break the stigma and make you feel comfortable to talk about it and have these conversations so you don't feel alone and whatever you're going through with food and body image stuff. But like all bodies are different and we have been given these different standards over the decades of what bodies are supposed to look like here and there and there and we're constantly trying to conform to look like everybody else but my hope is that we start to just want to look like
7: ourselves and just to clarify not like everybody else to look like one body type that we've seen represented so you know it's not that everybody else looks like that we think that everybody else looks like that because of i'd go big media here not just social media you know the advertisements etc and so recognizing that there's so much bio-individuality of not just what you look like, but what you need that, you know, all of us eating the same things and the same amounts wouldn't make any sense. Love that. Especially on the holidays. (laughs) Especially (laughs) on the holidays. Okay, well, Sam,
5: thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. And again, I love following you on Instagram. So I want to say your page one more time for people to get out their phones right now. If you're listening to the podcast on your phone, go to Instagram and go to at find.food.freedom. And I promise you she will not disappoints point and you'll see her posts come up and you'll feel encouraged and we want to give you people that you'll be encouraged by and then quickly too, one more thing before you go you have a podcast called drunk dietitians this is correct. So we're actually, <laughs> we're
6: actually rebranding. We're, I'm not going to say the new name because originally it started, we just wanted to have a cocktail mocktail and like talk about how diet culture sucks. A lot of what you guys are doing today. But then we we realized that that name can be a little harmful to some, you know, based on past trauma. And the last thing we want to do is cause more harm. So we are admitting our faults and mistakes um, and we have a new name coming out soon. But yes, you can find us right now at Drunk Dietitians.
5: And I got goosebumps that you had the opportunity to share that because I didn't know me. we didn't talk about it previously and I said I was just trying to I saw it on your Instagram so I wanted to give it a shout out but what a beautiful example of recognizing where something wasn't the best and moving forward and there's and no shame in that either because we're constantly evolving I just think that that is a good reminder for people that you can evolve yeah. every day and there's so much grace to go around and I I feel like that's just a good example of being like you know what, this probably wasn't the best thing. So we're going to move forward with this. And well, I look forward to seeing what your new name is and listening to your podcast. So we'll keep people posted, Mm, but I'm sure you'll keep us posted on Instagram. And I hope people will check you out. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, ladies.
4: any disease.